So I'm going to tell you a story about an old Hollander today. You know, I speak to that as someone who's eminently qualified because I am of 100% Dutch descent, and so are my children because my wife is 100% Dutch descent too. Nunspeet Gelderland is where my tribe kind of descends from. And ik sprak een beetje Nederlandse, you know, up to this day. That just means I speak a little Dutch. You should be impressed. <laughs> but here's the thing, you know, old Hollanders, I used to make old Hollander jokes all the time, and now I look in the mirror and an old Hollander stares back at me. It's kind of scary how that happened. It just happened. But I want to tell you about an old Hollander that I used to know who was quite racist. He was really quite racist to the core. Didn't like Native Americans at all. Didn't like Latinos at all. Didn't like African Americans. Went beyond color. He didn't like Jews. He didn't like Catholics. He was reformed. Very proud of it. He was so reformed, he was even skeptical of Christian reformed. His favorite story was that he couldn't go fishing with Christian reformed people because if you took two of them along, they would sit and criticize you for drinking beer on your boat. But if you only took one along, he'd drink all your beer. So that was his story. Now, things are going along pretty good for this old boy until his daughter started dating a Puerto Rican. And then she married the Puerto Rican. And she had children with him. And so this old Hollander's two grandchildren were half Puerto Rican. And to make it even worse, they were baptized Catholic. Can you imagine that? Then they got divorced, his daughter and the Puerto Rican guy. He was happy. Thought that was a good thing. Until, until his daughter started living with a black guy. That did it. He couldn't handle that at all. But it, over the years, I was talking with him, and I noticed that his racism seemed to be diminishing. And I knew it was not because he wanted to follow Jesus. So I asked him, I said, did you change your views on people of other races? And he said, well, I had to because I didn't want to lose my daughter. Interesting. I tell you that story today because it's just for the same way God doesn't want to lose you. So he makes certain changes to make sure that won't happen. Now, the wise person always tries to change themselves, you know. This guy would have been foolish if he had tried to change his daughter. That would have just alienated her, pushed her away. So instead, he changed himself. He did the wise thing. And sometimes God does the same thing. See, sometimes we need a new plan. We have to cha make changes in our own lives. Some people have changed their major in college three or four times. End up going seven years because they can't decide what to major on. Sometimes the major needs to be changed. Sometimes there has to be a, a change of career. Sometimes you have to change friends. 
because the ones you got are just dragging you down. Sometimes when things don't work, we need to get a new plan that makes them work. Now, Henry Cloud wrote a really good book on this called Necessary Endings, and I intended to make a slide of it today, but I neglected to do so. Check that book out. It's one of the best I've ever read. It's called Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. It's pretty good stuff. My point here is that even God makes adjustments to how he does things. You know, when he answers prayers, he's changing history. He's making adjustments. He even adjusted his plan of salvation, his covenant, his working plan with the human race. That's kind of a scary thought, but it's real. I'm going to be reading to you from the letter to the Hebrews from the New Testament today, chapter 8, where it says that God chose Israel to show a dark world what he was like. The situation was bad. Those of you who are in the Jeremiah class know this. They had idols where they had their arms out like this and you had to sacrifice your children on them. They had all kinds of horrible things. Slavery was rampant. They were the nastiest of the nastiest people. The whole world was like that. And Israel was supposed to be God's messenger to not do that sort of thing, but they did it anyway. Israel was trusted with a special revelation from God, but they repeatedly blew it. They got greedy and cruel, just like every other group. They had all kinds of distortions of what God was really like. You know, they brought idols into the temple and all sorts of things like that. Now, if I was God, I probably would just let them die. You know, maybe first gave him a severe case of hemorrhoids and then let him die. Because that was just nasty. There's one recorded instance where he gives them tumors. But I wouldn't have had the patience for that. And God could have let the devil have their souls. But he came up with a new plan, a new covenant. Now, a covenant is an agreement. It is a contract. And what God did is he voided the first one and then came up with a better one. So let's read this from Hebrews chapter 8. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant 
to replace it. See, the first covenant didn't work out. It's a good thing. It's based on the Ten Commandments. If you live by the Ten Commandments, you're living wisely. It's a good deal to follow these, but we don't do it. They didn't do it either. They acted like the heathen nations that surrounded them, that they were supposed to help, and they, they drifted away. So this goes on now. I'm, I've kind of blended the New International Version with the message. This is New International. The next slide is message. When God found fault with the people, he said, heads up. The days are coming when I'll set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. I'll throw out the old plan I set up with their ancestors when I led them by the hand out of Egypt. Look at that. This guy is quoting God as saying, I'm going to throw out the old covenant. You know, the old covenant, the Old Testament versus the new covenant, the New Testament. I'm going to throw it out. God made an adjustment. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to keep his kids. He loved his kids. He wanted to keep his daughters and sons. So the old covenant had to go because it wasn't working. This system of merits just didn't work. There was a new system coming, a mercy system. And it works. As we go on. From Hebrews 8. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them and carving it on the lining of their hearts. It's kind of poetic. One of the things that we learn about Hebrew uh, prophecy this, this section here, the author of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah 30 or 31, and he, he keeps the uh, poetic arrangement to it. In Hebrew, this all rhymes. It's all set up very nicely. In English, of course, it can't rhyme. But what he's saying here is he's putting his law inside us. He's giving us the Holy Spirit instinct. He's planting the law of love in us. Because he didn't want to reject his kids. Look what he says. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God and Five Easy Lessons. They'll all get to know me firsthand. The little and the big. The small and the great. Now Jeremiah here is predicting Jesus. Jesus had already been there by the time Hebrews was written. But he's quoting Jeremiah, which was written 600 years before. And he's saying, look, this was predicted all this time. That's why I think Jeremiah's one of the coolest things on the planet. Um, Wednesday nights, 6 o'clock. Um, so you see this, all right? How are they going to get to know God that way? And here he answers that. They'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven with the slate of their sins forever wiped clean. See, because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did or what I did, 
the slate of sins was wiped clean. Forever. You're forgiven. Let that sink in a minute. You're, you're absolutely forgiven. You're saved by mercy, not by merit. The, <clears throat> the slate is wiped clean. Eternally, forever. So that means all the stuff in your past is gone because of what Jesus did, not because of your Miss Goody Two-Shoes. It's because of what Jesus did. All the sin that you're currently participating in, like snoozing during one of these wonderful sermons, all of the sins that you're currently in, forgiven. And all the sins you're going to commit tomorrow are already forgiven. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Your salvation does not depend on you. And that's a cool thing to understand. Because if it did depend on you, you'd blow it anyway. When God speaks of a new covenant, and this is so cool, I wrote papers on this many times. It's just outstanding. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. People will come to me and say, that's new. That's new material. Now, it's been in that New Testament. It's every New Testament's ever been put together. It's always there. We just don't like to read it. The best way to irritate certain groups of Christians is just to read the Bible to them. But it's so interesting. The old covenant here is a system of trying to please God by following rules. And it didn't work. So God did an upgrade. He sent Jesus. Instead of trying to follow rules, you trust Jesus to save you. The old way is obsolete. Because you can follow all the rules and still be a jerk. It's very easy to do that. But you can't follow all the rules. So you have to trust Jesus to save you. It's the only way you can be saved. It's called being saved by grace. If you're not saved by grace, you're not saved, period. The old way is obsolete. And the new is better. Now, of course, I look at this from a pastoral perspective. I have for years because so many people make themselves so miserable by misunderstanding this. And they'll live in fear of God, fear of being sent to hell for all eternity. And I get to try to explain to them, it's not so. See, the old system is the merit system, the one on the left. And the merit system largely consists of two lists, two lists. One of the bad things that you've done and the other, the good things that you've done. And hopefully the good things outweigh the bad things so that you can squeak by and get into heaven. But it doesn't work. I was talking to a guy who believed that just recently. He said he watched porn for two hours a day, but he volunteers for four hours a day. So he figures the volunteering in the charity is going to wash out the porn. He must have unlimited cable. But it doesn't work that way. You can't save yourself. No matter how much you try. 
the mercy system, the new covenant, shows us where Jesus came to this earth as a ransom for you and me. He took the bad list and he destroyed it. It's gone. The slate is clean. You've been set free. You're free now to love and to serve. The merit system is obsolete. You have to trust Jesus to save you and get on board with the mercy system. Now, you know, the merit system could try that. Like, say, well, you've sinned some way, okay? You want to atone for those sins. So you come to me and say, how can I make it right? By spending more time in this room? And if I said something like, yes, you have to take every one of these chairs and stack them by that door and then re-put re them, put them in rows again. You do that five times and then your sins will be gone. That would be a great fundraiser, wouldn't it? But it doesn't do anything for sin. Doesn't get rid of it. Doesn't clean your heart up at all. The only thing you have to do with chairs in this room is understand the meaning of this one. I've used a thousand times. You trust Jesus to save you just like you trust this chair to hold you up. And some of you have heard me tell this story before. But I think of Millie Feet. Some of you remember her. She was dying slowly, not pleasantly at all. I went to see her in the hospice and just asked her how she's doing. She said, you know, I'm trusting this bed to hold me up, just like I trust Jesus to save you, save me. And I keep thinking of your red chair. Now, if you got to die, that's the way to do it. Just knowing that you can't save yourself, but Jesus will save you. So when you leave today, you notice there's two overstuffed chairs in the entryway. After Millie died, Dick donated those to the church. Her husband donated those to the church as a reminder of that. So you walk past those chairs and you think of Millie, those of you who remember. See, because this stuff works, folks. It's important that you have it. Now, for all of us, you know, we simply can't undo the past. But you don't have to worry about that. You can't undo the past because Jesus took care of it. So you are been set free to make God's day. And in doing so, that will make your day. Let's pray together. Lord, we must come to you in all sorts of apologies for trying to save ourselves. But you came up with a new plan for us. Where you handle the saving, we just have to handle the responding. So we turn ourselves over to you and trust you to save us. And every time we sit in a chair, we ask that you remind us of that.